It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know what's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter, at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part two of the mailbag. And for that, of course, as always, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He says, if Adam Gase is still here in 2020 with all the shenanigans that have gone on, do the Jets still have... Have the same polling power as they did last year I believe they are going to have around 80 million dollars but they have 24 unrestricted free agents to still resign or let move on how much do you think Gase being here will affect players coming in from the outside and players being willing to stay from the inside it's an interesting question and honestly this is something that could factor into their success signing certain free agents and keeping certain guys that are here that they might want to keep because especially guys on the inside if they've been playing for Gase and don't like or respect him they might want to move on you got to remember it all depends too on money if there are players that can get their money pretty much anywhere and we talked about three big free agents before Byron Jones Brandon Scherf and Yannick Ngakwe those are guys where that would really be a factor because they want to know they're going somewhere where they can be used well they want to know that they're going somewhere where they can compete because they're going to be able to get their money in a variety of different places so I think those guys could be influenced I also think certainly guys that are already on the roster for instance let's say Robbie Anderson doesn't like Adam Gase then maybe he's more inclined to leave what if he likes Adam Gase then he's more inclined to stay a lot of that depends on Gase's relationship with the individual players and I'm going to throw in another question here before I throw it to Chris because it ties in. It's from the Jet Ranger. He says, which 2020 free agents on the current roster would you like to see the Jets re-sign? Which ones would you like to see walk? The only two guys that are free agents off the top of my head that I would like to see the Jets bring back for sure are Robbie Anderson and Jordan Jenkins. Beyond that, I'd have to really take a hard look at who they have coming up as a free agent and then decide which guys I would want to keep. But those two, definitely. They already extended McClendon, so you don't have to worry about him. I'm not even sure off the top of my head who the other guys are that are free agents, but that's really all I would tell you right now. Lewis isn't somebody I would bend over backwards to bring back. Anderson I would like to see brought back. Jenkins even more so. It's really it off the top of my head. So, Chris... I'll throw this to you now. What do you think about the Gase effect in terms of bringing in guys from the outside and keeping them from the inside? And then as far as keeping them from the inside, who would you like to see kept and who do you think they should let walk? Yeah, uh, I'll start with the second part first. Uh, I agree with you on Robbie. I, I'm more pressed to keep Robbie than you are, but uh, I agree. I agree on Jordan Jenkins. I would also 
make sure to bring back Brian Poole. I apologize on that one, Chris. Brian yeah. Poole is one that I completely forgot. 100%, he's got to be there with those two guys. No question. Yeah, the 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 reason I had that on the top of my head is because I've been I've been too busy to get to it, but I've been thinking of writing an article about as really since they uh, re-signed Griffin and brought him uh, gave him an extension about the other players that they I would try to extend. And we've talked about this before. I would also look into trying to sign Jamal uh, to an extension too. Now he's going to be here on on the contract next year, so it's not as pressing. But I would look to do that. Uh, as far as Adam Gase's effect on free agents and, and pending free agents, keeping players, it, again, this is going to be a little bit of a case-by-case, player-by-player basis. But um, if you're talking about certain players that you know played with them in Miami, they're probably not going to want to play with them. I don't. There's not a lot of them. Uh, I don't know if there's any that you actually want, though, so that's not uh, as big of a problem. With the other players coming here, it could be an issue. And like you said, it's going to be it, it, the, the way it will be an issue is if somebody's considering coming here, but they have two other offers from other teams, and the offers are pretty close to equal. Then it could play that could play into their decision. But if the Jets come in and the Jets are comfortably the highest bidder, ninety-nine out of a hundred players are going to go with that highest bidder, no matter what. Um, so that's not really. Uh, that much of a concern in that area. It's more that Adam Gase would be kind of like a tiebreaker for players. It, it, at most, that's what it would be. They'd be like, okay, I'm choosing between these three teams and maybe I like this coach more, so I'm going to go here. But again, that would have to be everything else was close to equal enough that they could allow that to make a decision. Um, maybe, maybe you could see certain receivers would be more hesitant to go with Gase or our running backs would, would be more hesitant to go with Gase because of the, the way that he's, uh, you know, stubborn about how he uses certain guys. But overall, especially defensive players, I don't think they're going to be concerned about any of that. Next is a series of questions from John Flesh. First, he says, if Gase starts to lose the players' respect and confidence in him, if he hasn't already, could would Joe Douglas convince Christopher Johnson to fire Adam Gase? I know Gase and Joe Douglas are pals, but Joe Douglas has his own job security to think about. What are your thoughts on this? A lot of people have talked about this. Obviously, nobody knows for sure what Joe Douglas's mindset is in terms of Adam Gase. How tight are they? We don't really know. How much does Joe Douglas believe in Adam Gase? We don't really know. We do know that there's a bond that was strong enough that Adam Gase really pushed hard to get Joe Douglas in the door, first shoving Mike McCagnin out, and then really lobbying to get Joe Douglas the job as general manager. Beyond that, we don't know for sure. I suspect that unless things go so haywire the rest of the season that it's completely untenable, Joe Douglas will look at it as it was a rough year, a lot of injuries. This is going to be their chance to really work together for the first time to build this program the way that they wanted in the offseason, get their type of players in free agency in the draft. And so I think he would be inclined to, if not back Gase, certainly not go to ownership and try to get him ousted. Again, that might change if things become so disastrous over the last couple of weeks of the season. 
But I think there's a good chance that Douglas is either in Gase's corner in a big way or at the very least willing to give him the benefit of the doubt based on a lot of what happened and willing to go into next year as the first true year of their developing this program together. Yeah, and less, like you said, unless everything just completely goes off the rails, implodes in uh, just abject failure, embarrassment all around, I can't see Joe Douglas going to Christopher Johnson trying to make a move. Now, what maybe could happen is if Christopher Johnson goes to Joe Douglas and asks his uh, assessment, then maybe Joe Douglas would be like, yeah, I don't know about this guy. I, uh, we might be better off. But even that's just kind of like, you know, me reading tea leaves here because I don't know enough about Joe Douglas's mindset, uh, how he's thinking. Uh, one thing I will say is while – to some degree, everybody always has to worry about their job security. Joe Douglas signed a six-year contract. He doesn't have to worry about his job security this offseason. Um, he, he knows he can definitely get by with another year of Adam Gase at least, and then if the next year doesn't work, then he can make a move and get a new coach, and he's still going to have plenty of years left on that contract. So my gut feeling, my read on it, is that Joe Douglas is not going to make any type of push to get rid of uh, Gase here, uh, be at least another year. And like you said, they will sit here and say, you know, Joe Douglas came in after free agency, after the draft. They haven't had a chance to build the roster and their how they would like. So from there going forward is going to uh, be a big thing. But I, I just don't see him going out of his way to try to get Adam Gase out of here. Maybe, 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 but doubtful if Christopher Johnson approached uh, him and asked him that, what's your honest assessment? Do you think we need to move on? Maybe there's a chance he'd say it. But even then, I think that's a small chance. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. The next question from John Flesh is, is it me or are Henry, Big Steve, Foley Fadakasi, and Nathan Shepard all out playing Quinn Williams? I hear from some and Q himself that he's doing his job, although it seems to not show up in the stat sheet. Without even looking at any stats, my eye test says he's the fourth or fifth best defensive lineman right now. So here's the thing. First of all, Nathan Shepard had a couple of really good games, but it's hard to say that he's been better than anybody really except for those couple of games when he played really well. And a lot of those, Quinton Williams opened up opportunities for him. Fadakasi's been really, really good this year, although he slowed down a little bit the last couple of weeks, but he's been terrific, especially against the run. McClendon is steady Eddie, as always, playing very well when healthy. He's not a guy that's going to be a big pass rusher, but very stout against the run. Henry Anderson, another one, very steady, very solid. He's a pretty well-rounded player, not great at anything, but... Decent against the pass, decent against the run, solid player. As far as Quinn and Williams, I hate to say this, but I've talked about this before. A lot of this is usage, and a lot of this is that he's doing things that if you go back and watch the film, you'll see are having an impact. One of them, for example, against the Bengals was putting a rush on Andy Dalton where he shoved an offensive lineman back into Dalton that forced the pass that really should have been intercepted. There was a big run stuff. There were a couple of other pressures. And he's not finishing just yet in a lot of those cases, but he's also not being asked to a lot. The vast majority of the snaps he's being used to stunt into two-gap. And so if you look at the tape, what you'll see is a couple of times, and I remember one play specifically on a third down, he ran head first, almost like Leroy Jenkins in, I think it was World of Warcraft was the video game that that was in, where Leroy Jenkins would just run head first into something. He ran head first into two or three blockers because it was clear that he was being asked to do that. So I think for what he's being asked to do and for when he's being unleashed, he's playing very, very well. As an example of that, look what he did in the Miami game before he got injured. He was all over the place, living in the backfield more or less, once they unleashed him as an aggressive attacker. I think you could make the case that Foley Fadakasi has been the best player on the defensive line this year, or at least he had been up until a couple of weeks ago. He was tremendous against the run. He was one of the best interior defensive linemen in the league against the run. It's hard to rank. I'd really have to sit down and look at the film extensively for every single one of these guys on the line. The one thing that I will say is that they've all played well in different ways, and the fact that the Jets' run defense has been as good as it has been with backup and third string linebackers playing for most of the year is a testament to A, Greg Williams' scheme, but B, more importantly, the talent up front on that defensive line. So to answer the question about Quinn and Williams, it's really difficult because, as you said, he's not giving you those flashy stats, but he is definitely making an impact. He's getting the most snaps on the most elite run unit in the league and one of the most elite run units in NFL history, believe it or not. There's something to that. And for anybody that wants to say, well, if he was this good, why would Greg Williams use him this way? Again, let's remember, he's got so much to make up for, especially with those linebackers, as we talked about. He's been playing with second and third string linebackers 
So if he thinks that the best way to make up for the deficiencies there is to have Quinn and Williams take on two and three guys and open up opportunities for other players, especially Jamal Adams when he was healthy, then that's what he's going to do. And as much as it frustrates me because I would like to see him use Quinn and Williams as an attacker more, he's got to do what he feels is best in the moment. He's trying to survive and produce on a weekly basis. So I think that Quinn Williams has played very well for what he's been asked to do. I think when he's attacked, he's made impactful plays, even if they haven't quite been those splash plays just yet. I also think that when he's asked to attack more and once you see linebackers that are starting caliber and he doesn't have to stunt in two gaps so much, then I think you're going to start to see more of those flashy stats pile up because a higher percentage of his snaps will be used with him in that capacity attacking and trying to get those stats. Yeah, there, there's a key sentence in his question uh, where he says about Quinnen doing his job but it not showing up in the stat sheet. That that's contradictory because what they're mostly asking him to do is something that doesn't show up in the stat sheet. Right. There is there is no stat for taking on double teams, for freeing up holes for other guys. Um, you talked about it, uh, Nathan Shepard. Some of the plays he made were because Quinnen Williams was able to occupy the tackles, uh, the blockers, and open it up for him. Same with Fulopatakasi and the, uh, all around. So his, the, what they are asking him to do, there is no way for it to show up in the stat sheet. There is no stat for that. Now, they're not doing that. I'm not saying every – I want to be very clear here. I'm not saying every single snap he takes, they're asking him just to be a body blocking and occupying the tackles. They're, but they're doing that a lot. Most of his snaps and reps are him just to go occupy blockers and – that's of course that's not going to show up in the stat sheet there is no stat for that so i think that's a key thing to focus on with that question and then as you pointed out and i it's just not getting talked about enough if we see them use quinn and williams the exact same way next year with a healthy cj mosley and a healthy avery williamson a healthy blake cashman then i can start to get concerned about why they're using him this way but with they have two of the worst starting uh, top, the top ten or bottom ten starting linebackers inside linebackers in this league, and they still have the number one rush defense in the NFL. Large part of that is because of the way they're using Quinn and Williams. Mm-hmm. They, they're using him this way out of necessity because of how bad these inside linebackers are. And the defense is still holding up pretty well, despite those terrible, uh, terrible play from those linebackers. So there's so much more to it. And it, you know, I, I hate to keep saying this over and over again, but I'm going to have to, because this is the reality we live in. And also he's, I mean, he is still a rookie. He still missed a couple games, but most of the time he is being asked to just hold up and blocking to maintain a, a, a control over the lanes and occupy blockers to free up stuff for everybody else. Let those inside linebackers run around more and help them out because they need the help so much. Um, again, if next year we see them using him the same way with the healthy linebackers back, then you can start to really be concerned about that. But 
I just don't think that's the case. I believe that Greg Williams is saying, man, we are really behind the eight ball here with these linebacker injuries, and I need to make it up somewhere else. And the way I'm going to make it up is by using Quinnen Williams this way. And this is Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is the best explanation, and that's what happens here. This is the simplest and only explanation for why it is this way, and it makes all the sense in the world. Next question comes in from Daniel Acosta. He says, what are the odds that Le'Veon Bell gets traded? And if he does get traded, who does he get traded to and for what? So Manish has been talking about this a lot, both on the podcast and in his columns at the Daily News. I think the Jets are going to look to shop Le'Veon Bell at the end of the season. Joe Douglas and Adam Gase are not big believers in committing that kind of money to a running back. We already knew that about Adam Gase. There are all the stories about the fact that Gase didn't want Bell in the first place. I think that they will look to move on and try to use that money in other areas. The question's going to be whether or not they can get a decent offer. I think if somebody ponies up a fourth-round pick, they would be willing to take it. The question is going to be whether they're willing to take a fifth, sixth, or seventh-round pick just to unload the contract. Also, will they be willing to pay a portion of Le'Veon Bell's 2020 salary? Because that could be a sticking point as well. Where does he go? I think he's going to go somewhere where the team feels that Bell could be that last piece to help them get over the top and make a real run at the Super Bowl. I would have to sit down and really think about teams where he would fit in that regard, teams that need a player with his skill set at the running back position, because obviously you're not going to say a team like Minnesota, they have Dalvin Cook as one example, and you would have to go down the line, but I'm sure there are teams that could use him. I know Kansas City, we've talked about them, so that's a possibility. That's one possibility right there. Maybe the Houston Texans, that could be a possibility as well. There are a few possibilities, but I think that whichever team would try to trade for him, it would be somebody that's a winning team and feels that they're on the verge of making a real run. Yeah, it's, you know, this this speaks to Adam Gase and uh, how I understand Jets fans' frustrations because we've reached the point where I'm saying, like, yeah, all right, go ahead and trade Le'Veon Bell. And it's it's nothing against Le'Veon Bell because I would absolutely want to keep Le'Veon Bell. Mm-hmm. But with the way Adam Gase runs his offense, the way he's used Le'Veon Bell, it's just what's the point? Uh, so I, I think that they would be willing to, uh, to move on from him. They will look to move on to him and make it a, a concerted effort to move on from him. Um, I think the Chiefs and the Texans are – those are the two most likely spots for him to go. Um, you know, I know they they both have given up some uh, draft capital over the years, but we're not talking about a first or a second round pick form, a fourth or a fifth. I think both would be willing to do something along those lines. Um, so I think those are the two teams that you'd really have to look at. Maybe, you know, maybe Philadelphia, an, another team that likes to make – uh, aggressive moves. Uh, so maybe they could be thrown in there. Uh, but it, it we've really reached the point where I'm like, all right, go ahead and trade them. Uh, and I think it, it's ludicrous because if, if I'm had more control, I would not be do, saying this, but knowing that Adam Gase, if, if Adam Gase comes back and he comes back and how he's used them, I just, what's the point? Um, 
and maybe and maybe part a big part of me saying that is really just for Le'Veon's sake because if if Adam Gase is going to be back and it's going to be the same next year, um, even with an improved offensive line, because that that is key too to think about if they do drastically improve this offensive line, then I do think Le'Veon Bell could be much better next year. But I still just think Adam Gase is going to stubbornly fight using him. Uh, and the, all the ways to maximize his ability and potential. And if you're not going to maximize all those abilities, then all right, go ahead and trade him. As as silly as it sounds, if you're not going to use it, then go ahead. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Tim. He says, I'm looking to go to the Jets-Steelers game next Sunday. Where can I get tickets where it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg? Best answer for this one is obviously the Vivid Seats mobile app. Tim, if you download it right now and you use the promo code OVERTIME at checkout, you could get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase, which would include that Jets-Steelers game that's coming up next Sunday or... If you change your mind, you decide you don't want to go to that game, you can still use that promo code for something else, a wrestling match, a boxing match, a concert, a basketball game, a hockey game, whatever it is you want to use it for, that promo code will work when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME on your very first purchase. You'll get yourself up to 100 bucks off. Next question comes in from Party Artie. He says, if everything happened this year exactly the same, but the Jets had hired Rule, McCarthy, or any other coach, would people be saying that the coach sucks and needs to go the way that they are with Gase? Or would injuries in a bad roster and all the excuses people hate to use with Gase be used for these coaches? I don't think that it would be used as much for Mike McCarthy because like Gase, he's an entrenched and established head coach. McCarthy more so than Gase actually is an entrenched and established head coach. And I think that's part of it is that these are things that have been complained about with Gase for years when he was in Miami. So when it falls within the purview of what's been considered a pattern with Adam Gase, people really start to pipe up about it. I think Rule would have been cut a lot more slack because it would have been his first time as an NFL head coach. And I think that if they'd hired a coordinator, it would have been the same thing. I think McCarthy would not have been getting slack. I think he was unpopular in a lot of the same circles with Jets fans that Gase was. And I also think that because he's an established head coach, he wouldn't have gotten the benefit of the doubt. It's a lot easier to give the benefit of the doubt to a coach who's got a learning curve as opposed to somebody who already is supposed to be a seasoned head coach. So I think with McCarthy, the complaints would be the same. I think that if it was somebody like Rule, you might hear those complaints, but you would also hear people say, well, it is his first year. You got to give him a chance. You got to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that when you're an established head coach, a lot of that goes out the window. Yeah, I'm with you. I think with McCarthy, it would be pretty much the same. I think the people who wanted McCarthy before the hire would have been willing to continue giving him the benefit of the doubt. But the people who were, you know, saying no to McCarthy would be doing the same that they're doing with Gase right now, 
Rule would have gotten more of a leash because of everything you just said. You got to give him a chance. You got to let him a learning curve and all these things, the injuries, all that factor in. I do think where McCarthy would have an advantage over Gase here is the injuries front. I don't think people would be – I think they'd be willing to cut him a little bit more slack because of that. And I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's a Jets fan the other day because he was asking me about it. Injuries – this is the NFL. Injuries happen. Flukes happen. Every every team randomly every once in a while gets hit with a really bad in, injury-filled season. Um, so you, when you're just looking at one season, you can never really pin injuries on a, a coach. But this is a problem that he had in Miami over and over again as well. And I don't know that he's to blame for that, but when it keeps happening – I have to consider that there's something he's doing that might be to blame for that. Um, So I think McCarthy would have gotten maybe a little bit more slack on that front. (laughs) But the people that were anti-McCarthy would be just as loud with everything playing out here as the people uh, are with uh, Gase. Rule would have gotten more slack. Monken would have gotten more slack. Um, You know, Cliff Kingsbury probably would have gotten more slack, as long, especially if the offense and Darnold had showed more flashes at times. Uh, but with Adam Gase, again, it's like you said, it's the same exact things. It's not. There's nothing that you can point at that's gone wrong this year and be like, yes, but this is just a one-time problem with Adam Gase. It's all been reoccurring problems with him. And I don't know how much of it is actually his fault, but it's still a problem that's connected with him. Next question comes in from Gus Toon again. He says, how come the Dolphins are scrambling around picking up players off the street and hoping they click guys with potential and the Jets aren't doing that? What's going on? I think the Dolphins don't really have a lot of guys that they want to keep around, so they're just shuffling things. Plus, they've got a ton of injuries in certain spots. You've seen the Jets make moves in spots where they've had injuries, but maybe they're just guys that Joe Douglas doesn't see a lot in, and there are guys here already that he wants to keep. I think that's the easy explanation. Yeah, when when you strip the roster down like the, the Dolphins did, there's like, what, three, four players that they – five at most that they like, yeah, we really want to keep these guys and build on. That means there's a lot of other roster spots that are being filled by people that you know aren't going to be here long term. So you're more willing to go ahead and let go of them and bring in other guys to give a, get a look at them and see if they could be brought into the fold here. Um, and it's not like, you know, it's at this point in the season, you're signing guys – it's not like you're signing difference makers. Um, it's just at, they're still treating this, the front office at least, is still treating this as, you know, just at this season is just about evaluating players that they have and evaluating as many players as they can. So they've seen enough of the people that they're waving and they want to bring in somebody new and get a look at them to see if they can be a contributor in some way, shape, or form. Where the Jets obviously still have a ton of holes, and there are a bunch of players that they want to that they're not going to bring back. Their their wiggle room is a lot tighter than the Dolphins' wiggle room here. 
Um, and again, I I don't know who is out there in the last couple of weeks that I could point to and say, oh yeah, that's going to make a difference for the Jets. And, and those players aren't going to make a difference for the Dolphins this year. It's just about getting a look at them and evaluating to see if they can help later on. And in reality, it's probably a large part of looking to see if they can contribute on special teams and stuff like that. So um, I wouldn't read anything into that at all, honestly. That's going to wrap up part two of the weekend mailbag. I'll be back tomorrow with Michael Nania for a brand new edition of Chronicles of Nania. It's going to be a Sam Darnold positivity edition. So lots of Sam Darnold info if you're looking for that. And if you're a Jets fan, I'm sure you are. So make sure you're listening tomorrow. In the meantime, go ahead and follow Chris on Twitter at CNimbly and at Jets Insider. Read his very big deal work over at JetsInsider.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets. Jets.com.